good morning. Thank you for being at Renewal Church. I'm Jared. It's good to have you today. I hope you had a great Halloween. Happy birthday to Chris. It was uh, Chris's birthday on Halloween. And I, I, went out with my, uh, I went out with my kids on Halloween, and they are at prime candy gathering age. Jude Wilson is eight, so he's still cute, and my whole house is filled with chocolate and sweets, and I am heavier than I have been in about 20 years, so that sucks, but... Um, today, I want to I talk a little bit about Jesus' mission in this world, about the reason that he came to earth. Um, but first, I have a little bit of a confession to make. Um, but you can relax. It's not juicy. Um, I lose things. I lose... Et- <laughs> I lose everything, and like you know, when my I, I've been married to my wife Heather for 14 years, and we really tried to tried to do relationships God's way, so we didn't move in before we got married together. So there was a lot of things we didn't know about each other, and I think this is one of those things that really surprised her when we got married and we started living together. Is that I lose everything. I lost. I've lost. Um, I've lost a, a MacBook Air. I've lost. Um, Let's see. I lost a Bible that I'd been writing in for an entire year so that I could pass it on to my son when he was grown. Um, I've lost headphones. I've lost a backpack. I lost an entire set of tools. I, um, I lost, and, uh, I lost a, uh, an iPhone on the MBTA. And one of the signs in my life that God is real is that someone turned that into the lost and found, and I got it back. So Jesus is real, y'all. I'm just saying. You, didn't, you came in here today agnostic. Well, let me tell you. Um, Jesus is alive, and I have the iPhone to prove it. I lose everything, and I think we all know what it's like to lose, you know, when you lose your wallet or you lose something that's valuable, and that sense of, like, that, that dread and that freak out in your soul that you're like, oh, no, what's in there? What am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to get my driver's license back. I'm going to have to, my credit's ruined forever. Someone's stolen my credit cards and my identity. I'm probably going to have to adopt a new secret identity to get away from my old bankrupt identity, and that's... You don't think that? That's, where I, that's what I think every time I lose my wallet. It happens about once a week. Here's the thing is we all know what it's like to lose little things and kind of the inconvenience and the freak out of that. But there are bigger things that you can lose in your life. And, and um, we know the pain of losing a person. You know what? You ever felt that? You have this relationship in your life and you lose that person due to distance or due to um, sickness or due to death or just life circumstances change. And when that person is gone from your life, it's like there's a hole in your heart. Um, we, we go through this a lot at our church because we're in the city for the city, and, and, and we see a lot of people come and stay in the city for a couple years and then leave. And so when you lose a person like that, um, it really puts a, a hole in your heart. Um, when I was a little child, not only did I lose things, I also got lost. I was in the mall with my parents one time. I think I was in middle school, and this will date me a little bit, but we didn't have cell phones back then. We, we had cell phones, but only drug dealers and cartel members had cell phones. They were like this big. It was like a satellite phone. Um, my dad had one, but he talked to drug dealers a lot. That's a different sermon. It's a different, it's a different message. Anyway, it's true. Um, I actually have a picture in my house of myself with uh, uh, hundreds of kilos of cocaine. Totally different sermon. And you're going to have to keep coming to Renewal Church if you want to find out what that's about. Maybe I'll tell you. Maybe, uh, maybe go on, uh, on our app and look at the blog, and maybe I'll say something about it this week. You never know. Um, I'm a mystery. You never know. Um, but I was in the mall with my parents. We didn't have cell phones. I was in about middle school, or maybe I think it was late elementary school. My mom walked into a store, and I was just kind of in the center of the mall. She walks into the store, and I call out after her. Um, 
I won't be here when you get back. But she doesn't hear me. So my mother goes into the store, and I wander off into a store to go do shopping just on my own. And when my mom comes out, I'm not there, and she freaks out. Now, I don't know what's going on. I'm just kind of happily doing my shopping. But my mom gets my dad. They go to the security in the mall. They're showing pictures uh, because this was before smartphones, too. So it's like my mom's, like, opening her locket and, like, showing people the picture. Like, have you seen? And um, they've got... They've got over a dozen people in the mall looking for me, searching for me everywhere because I am lost. That sense of panic that you feel when you, when you lose someone is just, it's visceral. It's right down in the very core of your being. And according to the Bible, that's something about how God feels for people that are far from him. Jesus gave us his mission statement. He said, the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. God is on a rescue mission for lost people. And it may be that you don't even know that you're lost. It may be that they don't even know that they're lost, but God is, on, is in pursuit. God is seeking. God is saving. Seeking means he's going after. Saving means he's rescuing those who are lost. It's another way of saying this. God wants you back. The way God feels about you is the way you feel about someone who is lost in your life. God wants you back. And Jesus gave this mission as his own mission. And as Christians, we try to live like Jesus. We try to follow in his footsteps. We live his lifestyle. And so we try to live like Jesus did. And so if Jesus' mission was to seek and to save the lost, then for us, we have that same mission in our life. Now, if you're a Christian here today, we're going to try to explain exactly what that means and what, that, what the implications are for our lives. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, a friend invited you, or you're agnostic, or you've made your way in, this is a good Sunday for you to be here because you get the explanation of why Christians don't keep their faith to themselves, but they're always going and sharing and explaining and wanting other people to follow Jesus, right? And, you, you know, it's like, well, I always just thought it was like the biggest cult in the world, and that's why they're just not knocking on doors like, do you know Jesus? Or like holding up signs or whatever. No, there's this like fundamental foundational reason why we share Jesus with other people. And I want to share that with you today. And as for those of you who are Christians, it's so important that we get this. Because if we get the, if we don't get this, then many of our friends and family members and neighbors won't hear about Jesus. If we don't get this, then many of us will be missing out on joy in our lives. Right? Because what we believe as Christians is that at the end of your life, that you know, when you die, that's the end of your time on earth, but it's not the end of you. And you go stand before God, and there's this day of accountability before God. And, and, and for Christians, it's a day of great joy. It's not just God wagging his finger, but you know, the Bible has this phrase that it uses where God will say to people, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little things. You know, now I'm going to set you over many things. And so it's a day of joy for Christians. And as your pastor, one of the, like, my... My core job description is to increase your joy on that day. That's, my, that's why I actually have the best job in the entire world. My job is to increase your joy on that day. And so I want you to have the joy on that day of knowing that you participated in Jesus' mission in the world. But if we don't get this, we will slowly but surely become Pharisees. We will become people who are obsessed with the rules, obsessed with rightness, obsessed with righteousness... Um, but unwilling to go outside of our circle to other people and just live with other people in a human way. So it's so incredibly important that we get this. Jesus' mission is the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost, and he gives that to us. 
Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Luke chapter 15 today. So if you've got a Bible, open up your Bible. I hope you come to Renewal Church with an open Bible and something to take notes with. We also have a teaching handout, and I hope you'll pull this out today. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a couple of stories to explain and give some color to his mission in this world. He tells three stories. He tells a story about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And he's, he's explaining through stories his mission that the Son of Man can aim to seek and save those who are lost. He's explaining exactly how it is and why it is that God wants you back. And as we listen in on Jesus' mission, we, we start to understand so we can gain it in our own lives. So open up with Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1, as Jesus talks about um, this concept of seeking and saving the lost. Verse 1, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them, so Jesus told them this story. So this is the setup for why Jesus is telling these stories, is that tax collectors and other notorious sinners came to listen to Jesus teach. Now, there is no moral equivalent in our society for tax collectors, so it's just difficult for us to grasp exactly what's happening there. You know, I used to think that tax collectors were people who were supposed to take, they were supposed to collect $20 in taxes, but instead they collected $30 in taxes, and so they took an extra $10 and put it in their pocket, and that's why everybody hated them. Uh, you know, but that, that, that's really, that's the tip of the iceberg for what was happening here. Right? You think the Roman Empire stretched all the way from England to India. It was the largest empire in the world at the time. It was a brutally repressive empire. They, they were, I mean, you think back to uh, Christians in the Colosseums. It wasn't just Christians. It was their enemies. They would literally feed them to lions. There was a, there's one story of a, a city that rebelled against Rome. And so Rome came and took back the city, and as a punishment for it, they crucified 10,000 men, women, and children from the city on the road that led into it. So that everyone could see, this is what happens if you rebel against Rome. So they're, they're brutal, repressive, oppressive murderers, okay? And the way that they maintain control in this vast empire is by um, intimidation. That's what crucifying all the people was about. And through a standing army that was in their entire empire. Now, how do you pay for an, how do you pay for an army like that? You tax people, right? So... That's why I say there's no moral equivalent. For us to kind of have that same equivalent in our society, it would have to be like some foreign nation invaded America. They take over Massachusetts. They start, uh, they start nailing people in the city of Boston, 10,000 people to crosses on the road that leads into Boston. And your neighbor down the street is like, you know, it'd be a good way to make money. I could tax these people and give the money to the invading army. Then I'd be rich. You can see why there's, there's, there's just no moral equivalent to it. And this is who Jesus hangs out with. The other group mentioned in here is sinners. And, you know, to us, again, that, that word doesn't, like, kind of carry the, the same freight. You know, we think if for us it's more like Tommy Boy where it's like, Richard, you're a sinner, right? But, you know, it, in, in biblical times, there's a class of people who not only uh, were sort of like the notorious sinners of the town, like prostitutes, or tax collectors, but it was also people who had um, <clears throat> skin diseases like leprosy and people who were considered ritually unclean. And so it's this whole collection of people that were, you're not supposed to eat with, you're not supposed to engage with, you're certainly not supposed to touch. And this is who Jesus hangs out with. He's even eating with them. And this is one of the reasons why people wanted to kill Jesus. 
And I think, I always thought this was so strange. Did you ever wonder why people wanted to kill Jesus? I mean, he, he comes and he, you know, he hangs out with the poor and the tax collector. Like, why? Well, one of the reasons is that Jesus is undermining what they perceive to be the, the foundation of civilized society, which is, from the Pharisees' perspective, that God likes righteous people, that everyone should live righteous lives. You know, you should be faithful to your family. You should do all the things that you're supposed to do. God likes righteous people, and so you ought to live righteous lives. And here Jesus comes, and he hangs out with all the other people, and to them it sort of feels like he's not just threatening their position and their power, but also the foundations upon which society are built. Because not just for the Pharisees, but for us as well, everybody knows that God prefers righteous people. I mean, if you took a survey out on the street, you go out on Boston, you go, hey, listen, I want you to imagine for just a second that God is real. If God is real, does God prefer righteous people or unrighteous people? I mean, what percentage are going to say righteous? Does God prefer good people or bad people? Like, what is that? It's got to be above 90%, right? It's like every person in every society across all of human history just knows God prefers righteous people, except for Jesus. Like Jesus didn't get the memo. It's like when Jesus was hanging out in eternity past with God the Father, he said this relationship with love with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit of mutual submission and love towards each other. And they come up with this plan to create people and redeem people. And Jesus is gonna go. You know, it's God was like, hey, remember I like righteous people. And Jesus is like, I didn't hear you. And he just comes down to earth and he hangs out with the tax collectors and the sinners. It's like, what is Jesus doing? He's flipping our understanding of how society is supposed to work. And how are we going to keep control, Jesus, of people and keep them in their families and keep them loving people and doing the things that they're supposed to do if you keep hanging out with all the sinners? Jesus is turning their whole society upside down, and it's one of the reasons why they want to kill him. But Jesus loves hanging out with sinners. And do you know why? Well, I think the big reason is that God loves people. But the the theological reason in the Bible is that all the Jews were waiting for the day of the Lord. And um, I was actually reflecting on this uh, this morning, so it's not in your notes. But in the Jewish thinking, the day of the Lord was this day when God would come and judge people and rescue people, and it's two sides of the same coin. right? So he's going to save his people, the Jewish people, by judging the nations that are oppressing him. So he's going to rescue, and he's going to judge. He's going to do these two things. But Jesus, when Jesus comes, it's like the day of the Lord has come, but, but he's split it into two halves. So when he comes the first time, he's not judging at all. He's just saving. And then when he comes the second time, he's not saving now. He's just judging, right? And so the reason God has split these two days is because he loves people. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Like Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And he comes on that rescue mission, because in that future day is a day of accountability before God that all people have to face. So everyone knows that God prefers righteous people, but Jesus doesn't get the memo. And I wonder, just as Christians, (laughs) do we live lives in which we prefer righteous people over unrighteous people? Do we live with that same perspective that Jesus has? He tells us two stories to help us uh, diagnose our own heart. So let's look at these stories. The first one is called the parable of the lost sheep. Verse three. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. 
In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. You see, the way Jesus thinks about lostness, you think about how a sheep gets lost for a second. The sheep isn't like rebelling against the shepherd. He's not like, you know, as soon as that shepherd goes to the bathroom and the sheepdog turns his head, screw this, I am out of here. I'm getting in the car and I'm driving away. That's not reality. That's a show. It's called Sean the Sheep. It's great. If you have kids, you're going to love it. The way that sheep get lost are they eat a green tuft of grass and they, eat, they go and they eat it. And then they see another one. They go, oh, that looks great. And they go eat it. And they see another one, they go eat it. And then they look up and they look around. This is Sheep Psychology 101. They probably teach this at BU now. They look around and they think to themselves, I don't don't know where I am. You see, in the same way, people who are lost don't always know that they're lost. Sometimes you're just kind of going through the next thing in life and you, you just go to the next thing. You go like, I graduate high school, I'm supposed to go to college, so I go to college and then I'm supposed to do my internship, I do that, I'm supposed to get a job and I do that. And you, you're kind of just like living for the next thing and you live for yourself and you live for, you know, try to make as much money as you can and do a little good along the way and you look up one day and you're like, where's my relationship with my heavenly father? I don't even know. You see, Jesus tells this parable to remind us that lost doesn't mean you know you're lost. Lost doesn't mean you feel you're lost. Lost means someone is looking for you. That's what lost means in the Bible. It means that God wants you back, that he loves you, that he treasures you, and that he is searching for you. 1 Peter 2.25 says, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Like you are sheep. God is the shepherd, and God wants you back. I just wonder, as Christians, for us, Do we remember that God was looking for us? And when we go out into the world and we go out into our workplace, do we remember that these are people that we're engaging with that God wants back? And yet we're so, so quick to judge, saying like, stupid sheep, how'd they end up here in the middle of nowhere, don't know what they're doing, just chasing the next thing? It's like, listen, that's not God's perspective. God's perspective is, listen, I'm going to go get them. Are you? So that's the first story Jesus tells us to check our heart and give us his perspective. The second one is the parable of the lost coin. So let me read that to you. Jesus continues, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. Um, I once worked with a man who, um, he was a volunteer at my last church. He made a lot of money investing in gold coins. He brought one in one day. He placed a gold coin in the palm of my hand. And, he, and I said, how much is this worth? He said, $1,700. So I rabbit punched him in the throat and I ran. That's a whole vacation for me, man. No, it's like, it's valuable. It's so valuable. And you think about what makes a coin valuable. Like, yeah, there's some, you know, like the metal's worth something. But what really makes money valuable is that it's stamped with an image, And so we've decided, you know, as a society, things that are stamped with this image have value. And in their times, it would be the Roman emperor's, you know, stamp on the coin or George Washington. It bears the image of the emperor. And you think about people. When people are lost, people bear the image of God. That's part of what makes people so valuable to God. They are stamped with his image. Human beings in Genesis were created in the image of God. Um, and you think about what it means to be an image bearer. When you go into the public garden, 
Right in the, the center of it, there's a statue of George Washington in bronze. Have you ever seen that statue? He's riding on a horse. And here's the whole idea behind it. Within the constraints of the material, it's supposed to give you the best representation you can possibly get of the real thing. That's what the statue's for. And so like within the constraints of bronze, you know, you look at it and you're trying to say like, oh, okay, he was an incredible horseman, which George Washington was. And he was, a, he was a tall, imposing figure, which he was. And he was clearly like a soldier or a general, which he was. Um, and, and so within the constraints of bronze, you're trying to get the best picture you possibly can of who the man really was. That's why God made us in his image. We function in the same way. Within the constraints of flesh and blood, within the constraints of a created being, when people look at your life and the decisions that you make and the way that you think and the wisdom that you have and the, the rationality and the way that you, they're supposed to get a picture of who God is. They're supposed to get a picture of the real thing. God made you that way on purpose to reflect him and it means you are valuable to him because you carry his image. And so Jesus is telling us here that lostness is not about morality. Lost is about value. The woman doesn't sweep the house for the good coin and say, like, I'm not chasing that one. That was a bad coin. It's just valuable because of what it is. In the same way, you know, the criticism of Jesus is like, Jesus, why are you spending all this time with all these bad people? And, you know, Jesus tells this story so that we look at it and we go, listen, it's not about the good people or the bad people. It's about people. People who bear the image of God. People who have wandered away from the flock. People who have rolled away from the table. They matter to God. And I think so for us, it's like we forget how unbelievably important people are to God. That people are valuable to God. And so as Christians, we're supposed to live this out. Jesus lived to seek. He said the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. And as Christians, we're given the same mission to go out in the world to seek and to save the lost. Um, however... It is often neglected in our churches. Myself too. Like anytime we do a diagnosis on like where are you at spiritually, where are you at in terms of following the Lord, there's basically three relationships for a Christian. This is what it means to grow as a disciple. There's a relationship to God, that's worship. There's a relationship to the church, which is supposed to be service and love. And then there's a relationship to the world, and that's supposed to be seeking and saving the lost. And basically anytime you say, you ask someone to diagnose themselves on like where, where do you need to grow, they say, like, I need to grow there the most on seeking and saving the lost. We are, we are malformed disciples of Jesus. It's like we skipped leg day. You ever see a guy walking around, looks like a light bulb? That's American Christians. We skip leg day every day of our life, and we are malformed disciples because we need to grow in this. Myself, too. Right? Like, this is always the thing that I'm like, I need to grow in this. So why don't we engage in this deeply? If it like moves our hearts, and, and oftentimes as Christians, we come here and it moves us and we think, yeah, that's right. I should, you know, I need to do better with that. And I forgot about, right? And then we walk out of here and we don't do it. So there's three barriers that we get in Luke chapter 15 to us actually engaging deeply with this work. And they come from the three stories. The first barrier is apathy. The first barrier is apathy. You know, when you see the shepherd, the, the one sheep goes off and the 99 are still there and the shepherd's like, all right, let's do this. And so, you know, it's like, do your job. He's a shepherd, so he's gotta go. He's gotta go over the hills, through the ravines, rescue the sheep, bring it back. You have to care deeply about the one that's lost. But if there's a part of you as a person that's just like, 
It's like, man, we got 99 here. There's this like, this, this quiet attitude that comes into churches sometimes where we're like, man, we're good here. Look at, look at what God's done. And we shut the door behind us. There's just an apathy in our souls. And, and listen, like, I'm not trying to get down on you as a church. Like, I love our church. Our church is awesome. Like, I love our church so much. But I just think all of us as human beings, sometimes, sometimes the, the, the sin that's keeping us from engaging deeply is apathy. It's like, it's work. It's a lot of hard work to go hang out with your neighbors and be with them and engage with them deeply. It's like so much easier to just kind of drift into the community and not go. And so apathy is the thing that gets in the way. The second barrier is forgetfulness. Forgetfulness. Now, I don't mean that we forget to do it. I think the the story of the coin kind of shows us that sometimes we forget people's value. We forget how valuable people are to God. And, and, I, and the way this happens, because you think like, oh, I, you know, I, I absolutely value people. Here's how this happens. Sometimes, as Christians, we can think that we are in more of a culture war than we are in a spiritual battle. And when you view your place in this world as being in a culture war, and maybe it's because you watch too much of the news, or like me, you listen to too many podcasts, you know, or you're like, did you watch the Young Turks today? You know, or whatever it is, like you think you're in a culture war, then you start seeing people as obstacles to be overcome or as enemies to be defeated. But when the Bible thinks about people, it says that like people are valuable to be pursued. And if you have an enemy to fight, it's not a person. It's the enemy of God, the devil. That's the way the Bible thinks about it. You're in a spiritual battle against other, um, against the, the powers and the principalities over this present darkness. So you're not fighting people, you're pursuing people. And if you're fighting a battle, it's a spiritual battle. And so we forget the value that people have, and we end up seeing people as obstacles to be overcome. We end up seeing people as a means to an end. We end up seeing people as anything other than people. And so we forget their value. So we said apathy, forgetfulness, and the third barrier is offense. Now, there's a third story in Luke chapter 15, which we don't have the time to dig into in this sermon. So we're actually digging into it together in groups this week. So I hope you'll come to your community group. We'll study this third story. But the, the long and the short of it is there's a son who runs away from home. He comes to his senses. He comes back to his father's home. And when he gets there, there's an older brother. And the, so the father embraces him and welcomes him back. And so the son comes in and he's back with the father. But there's an older brother that is furious that the son is treated with so much grace. When you have walked as a Christian a long time, there's just this drift that happens in the human heart that we become more and more like Pharisees over time. We become, we live, you know, you try to live a holy life, you try to live a righteous life, and so you make some strides forward in that. And it's really easy when you're walking in holiness and you're walking in righteousness to look at God's grace to other people and think, you know what? That's not fair. Older brothers are always furious that younger brothers get to go have all the fun and then get, and come back home and get hugged. And those of you who are actually older brothers and sisters, you know that's true. I am the younger brother in my family, so it was awesome for me. Right? And so when they come back, and some of you have a fairness alarm, you know, and it's like it has, it has like two settings, like zero and a million. And they come home, and the father embraces them, and your fairness alarm goes off. And because you, have, you are offended by his grace, you don't 
you don't enter into the Father's joy and enter into Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost. So offense is, is a real issue. So the three barriers are apathy, forgetfulness, and taking offense. I think um, for all of us, we come back to this message. We want to overcome those barriers. We have to, the, the, the key to doing that is not technique. The key to overcoming those barriers is to let this story sit in your own soul, to let it humble you and embolden you, to remember that God uh, sought you, that God sought us, that God wanted us back, that we were lost. You know, maybe despite your church upbringing, there's, you know, that there's still lostness there, that all of us sometimes just eat the, the next tuft of grass and we look up and we think, I'm so far from my father. How did this happen? But God's, God sought you. He wanted you back. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that your sin could be wiped away and then rise from the dead so that you could have eternal life and live in victory. The heart of the Christian faith. And when you remember that, it, just, it breaks your own heart. It breaks down your defenses and your barriers and helps remind you of how good it feels to be found by God. And that sends you out into the world on the same mission as Jesus. It's true. God wants you back. Um, as I was running, uh, as I was shopping in the mall that day where my parents were looking frantically for me all over the mall with a, a dozen security guards looking for me too, uh, my dad spotted me first. And he called out to my mom and they both came running over to me, and I'm just so confused. I was just shopping. And, you know, my dad hugged me, which I can't remember another time where my dad just hugged me like that in public. That, that might be one of the only times that ever happened. And that was the moment I realized I was lost. And I, I just think for some of you, you're here today. And, you know, you're just doing the next thing in life. It feels pretty good. You know, maybe you have some church background, but you kind of look up in your life and you look around and you think, where's my relationship with my father? Sometimes you realize, you don't realize you're lost until, you, until you've got the father just wrapping his arms around you and embracing you. And through the worship today and the music and the preaching of God's word, you realize, I, I'm, I'm lost. And God wants me back. And the beauty of these stories is that God's not looking for penance. He's looking for repentance. Penance is when you have to make it up to God. You say, you gotta do this, and you gotta do this, and you gotta do this to kind of make it right and pay for your sins, and then you get accepted back. In the Bible, repentance is just, you come to your senses, and you think, I, I've been living, I've been living as my own God. I've been living as the only own master of my life. I've gotta turn around. I, you come to your senses and say, I've gotta go back to God. That's repentance in the Bible. And the moment you come to your senses and say, I've gotta go home, God welcomes you with open arms. He loves you. And he's longing for you to come to your senses and come home to him. If you're a Christian today, here's your, here's your next step. Ready? You're on the welcoming committee. <laughs> when someone comes to their senses and says, I need to come back home to God, we are on the party planning committee. We're going to throw the biggest party that heaven has ever seen for people who come back home to God. But if you are that lost son or that lost daughter coming back to God, your job is just to run into the Father's arms. And Jesus made a way for you to do that. 
So would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a moment? I want to, um, I want to give you an, a, a chance, you know, if God's working in the depths of your soul, I want the worship team to come back up at this time. We're going to sing in just a minute. If God is working in your soul, calling you back to himself, you know, you can pray today and ask God to welcome you back home, and he welcomes you with open arms. And so as I pray out loud, you can say this prayer in your heart. God, I recognize my lostness. I know that, um, that my sin has separated me from you. I've been, I've been running from you, sometimes just chasing the next thing. But I look up today and I know that I need to come home. God, I believe that Jesus made a way for me to come home. I'm so thankful that on the cross, he paid for my sins and paved the road home for me with his blood that was shed on the cross. I want to live for him. I want him to be the Lord of my life. I'm tired of being the Lord of my own life. And I long to know you, to spend eternity with you in heaven. Please come into my life. Thank you for seeking me. Please save me. In Jesus' name, amen.